Dave Saad. This is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 535. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And I always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to do a wrap-up, a wrap session on uh, the conference, fifth annual that we just did. And our theme was, there's more to the story. So There always is. I think we usually do this show after the conference, just kind of like what we our takeaways, basically. Well, right? and yeah, it's a nice summary of all of our amazing speakers because we really had some great speakers this year. We sure did. I mean, it was such a nice flow of information. Yeah, and um, I'm not going to compare this year to other years, but I will say one thing that my friend John Duffy said was that the the content of this one was important. Everything felt very important. Yes, it did. I agree. But first, um, we have a Zen talk uh, uh, next Monday, which is March 9th, I think. Um, we've done 76 of these bad boys. So uh, it's a live podcast Q&A. Join the team. We got some new team members as a result of uh, the uh, conference. Nice. Cesarina from Hutto, Texas yes. is a new team Zen member. Welcome, Cesarina. And we'd like to welcome anybody else out there that wants to join like the team. I feel like somebody just joined this morning. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I haven't checked. I, we got an email about it. Um, I, I meant to ask you this. We're presenting at Nazareth. Is that me and no, you? No, that's just me. Oh, that's just you. Yep. So what's the other thing that we're doing? I'm sorry we're I'm catching you off guard, but... It's the Lions Township thing. We're doing the sex talk. I can't find what day it is in our calendar. So if you can look it up while I say the other think things. I uh, we were supposed to send it to Brad to put on our event page. I know, but we don't have it on our personal Google calendar. Or if we do, I can't find it. Okay, I'll so find the date you move Meanwhile, uh, we're doing a screening of the bystander moment. Um, I th- is it called bystander? I think it's called the upstander moment, but he talks about bystander. No, it's the other way around. It's bystander. <laughs> because I remember at the conference... Um, you, you were corrected because yes. I think you called it the wrong thing. Um, I think you're right. I made another mistake. It's called a bystander moment. So I got it right the first time. Okay. So go ahead and finish that. And then um, so yes. So go to our, um, our, our website and check out the date of that. And then the tribe has a virtual meeting um, on the 11th and a real meeting, an in-person meeting on the 18th. And then you and I are going to be at Zen Parenting Radio, uh, I'm sorry, 1440 uh, in October. And so go ahead. When so are we going to be sex at La- education. Okay, we're talking over each other. Sex education for the 21st century, Lions Township, North Campus, uh, March 12th, Thursday, March 12th, 730 to 9. So we're going to be doing a similar, maybe not exactly the same, but similar sex talk to what we did at the conference. All right. And, um, you know, we kind of joked at the conference about how we've done this talk before and a lot of people show up and we've done this talk before and like five people show up. And I always joke that that must mean that everybody knows how to talk to their kids about sex. Yeah, you must know. Yes. And um, I know I'm still working on it. I'm working. Same. Like, I feel like it's a work in progress. So if you get the opportunity, we would love to see you. So um, should we just take it chronologically in regards to the conference? Sure. So we started, we did a few pre-conference workshops. Yeah. How did yours go? Oh, thanks. We were both offering each other to go first. I, um, I think it went well. What was the theme or what did you title it? So it it was called, um, rewriting our story, like unlearning what we've learned Mm. basically and living our desires. It was something, you know, kind of like that, frou-frou-y. But basically it just means that we're, how do we unlearn things and, and where I took that, was into how we've been wounded yeah. and how all of those wounded place in us, places in us still live. Yeah. And I like to think of them as representations of people. So, for example, if we were wounded as a seven-year-old, our wounded seven-year-old still lives in us. Yeah. If we were wounded as a 12-year-old, our wounded 12-year-old still lives in us. And there are many different wounds. There are wounds that are pretty significant traumas, maybe an assault or a rape or, mm-hmm. um, you know, some kind of experience like that to a day that your friend said something mean to you and it really shifted your relationship. So and small cuts to deep wounds. Absolutely. But Got they it. all kind of show up to then make our decisions mm-hmm. in our everyday life. Yeah. And 
we did a whole, you know, kind of deep dive about trauma and wounding and kind of understanding our inner lives better. And then we did a whole thing about how to in, build up your internal support team. Mm. So your external support team is your friends and your family and maybe your therapist or doctors, like people who are supporting you in literal ways yep. on the outside. Internal is how to build up a sense of, of connection and stability internally because you need both. Like we can depend on people externally, but you have to have an internal support system. So we like created, um, you know, we kind of, it, it's a fantasy world, mm -hmm. meaning I don't mean a fantasy, like it's made up, not true. I mean, you have to be imaginative to find all of these strengths inside of you. And then you have to like make them real. So I'm going to ask you an unfair question. Sure. So most people listening to this were not at your pre-conference sure. workshop. Um, and a sentence or a paragraph or in a minute, yeah. what would what would a takeaway be for any of the women that showed up or any of the women that are listening that would like to kind of hear? Because didn't you do something where like you're trying to bring different people that you admire into your consciousness or right. something? But that's your internal, that's my whole point. That's your internal um, support system is so you choose a several, like a caregiver that you had or a pet that you had or um, a fictional character that you admire or an author that you love and you take them in to your system. We actually tapped them in and you make them a part of who you are. So you're you putting are. your... your, your um, Hand fist on, on chest. your chest. Yeah. yeah. We didn't go through the whole tapping system. Okay. You know, the, there's this whole system to tapping. We just did, we just tapped them into our heart and that process starts to like now I, it was funny cause I was just telling you about, I just finished a meditation and I was frustrated about something in my meditation. You were frustrated at me, were you? Nope. Oh, it wasn't good. about you, but I was frustrated. And it's funny how they rise up even in meditation mm. and these these characters that I have taken in, because I have many now, I have a whole vision board of them. Yeah. They stand up and say, we're with you. We're with you. So I don't feel internally alone, which for me personally, I had, I think all people do. I don't think it's a Kathy thing, kind of an inherent loneliness, like you're doing this on your own. And mm. as a kid, kids definitely feel this. Sure. And to build up an internal system, even when I say, one of the things I said to the ladies is now when I say to myself, I love you, you know, the book, Shauna Shapiro's book, um, Good Morning, I Love You. Yeah. If you don't have an internal support team, saying I love you sounds really weird mm. because you're only saying it to that piece of yourself that's like the ego piece. Yeah. But when I say I love you to myself in the morning, I'm talking to all of that internal guidance system. Right. So it's not just the me in quotes. It's all of these other characters that live inside of me, fictional, real, you know, family members, friends. And they're with me, mm -hmm. and I just feel more stable. So that's that's me. Um, I heard nothing but good things from the ladies that oh, attended good. that. I'm so, so glad. Nice job. Thank as you. if there was ever any doubt. Well, of course. Um, and then be. I did. So you had I don't know forty or fifty women in there. Uh -huh. um, I was proud to, for the first time in five years, yeah. have a workshop, a pre-conference workshop for men. I had, I think, sixteen men signed up. Fifteen made it. Uh, Frank, my co-founder, the co-founder of the Tribe Men's Group, uh, led it. But, um, you know, in the past, there's there's been such a small number of men that attend the conference, much less come early to attend a pre-conference workshop. So it's funny, like my friend Sean, he's like, you know, are you, are you celebrating this? I said, celebrating what? He's like, <laughs> dude, you've wanted to do this. Yes. And you're always mad at the number of men in the, in the and, it, and now I'm talking about the conference overall. There was a, a oh, good yeah. number of men in that audience. So I I've set an intention to try to do that and it's coming true. And I just need to, I guess. Celebrate it? Celebrate it and acknowledge it. But my ego is always like, no, what's next? Or how come we don't have more and all that stupid stuff? But uh, some of the guys, it was interesting because um, I won't say any names, but there's a woman who is on Team Zen who wanna, who's always come to the workshop, to the conference, and she brought her husband this time. And when they were signing up for it, um, he said, well, what's this pre-conference workshop that Todd's doing? And she's like, well, it's kind of like Kathy's, except it's Todd. And in the format for you, it's you and you up front 
and 40, I teach 50 and women yeah. sitting mm-hmm. theater style and it's an exchange, but you're up there in front. <laughs> um, so when the guys entered the room, because we actually were adjoining rooms and when the guys entered my room, it was 15 chairs set up in a circle. Mm-hmm. And I know at least a few of the guys this is their worst nightmare. It is. They feel like they're going into that stereotypical drum circle thing. For sure, like a Native American thing. Yeah, and we're all going to cry. And it's funny, I forget about the awkwardness of it because I've been doing this for so long. Right. It's very natural for me to have a five or 10 or 20 or 30 chairs in a circle where we share it because I've been doing this quote unquote men's work mm-hmm. for so long. So I appreciate the guys that stepped into that scary mm-hmm. place, and we did a one-word check-in, and a few of the, a check-in is just like come one word that you're feeling right now, and one of the guys' words was terrified, mm-hmm. which I loved because he was admitting it because it would have been probably safer to be like, um, I'm feeling good, mm-hmm. but he's like, no, I'm terrified. So and then we ran a two-hour meeting, and it was wonderful. I was just I'm very grateful to the guys that stepped into that space and. Um, for anybody who might be listening, who might want to step into that space, any guys out there or people who identify as men, um, just check out trymensgroup.org. So I think it. one of the things that's really important to do as a teacher or as a therapist or as a, um, you know, somebody who speaks to groups is you have to remember yeah. that the fact that not everybody is. You have to be able to take yourself back. Um, not all the way, you don't have to erase everything you've learned, but to the beginning for mm-hmm. yourself. So you know what it's like to come in new. Mm-hmm. One of my least favorite things is when people don't acknowledge the steps it takes to get to a place of comfort yeah. where they look at everyone else and say, hey, be like me, um, which I know you don't do. But I see educators do that. I see therapists do that. And you know, the best thing you can do to help people and support them is meet them where they are, is that you know, in that kind of situation, I don't think you did anything wrong by creating a circle. But if people were like, is this circle uncomfortable? Changing that. Mm-hmm. And you may say, but we don't want to. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how do you make... Yeah, I don't think group? I would change it, but I think I would do a better job of acknowledging, hey, listen, guys, I know you're used to yes. a different setup. Yes. You're used to beer being there. You're used to ESPN yep. being on in the background. You're used to a boardroom where everybody's behind a desk of right. like a big long desk and have their phones have their phones talk about safe stuff and this is none of that and i that's something i need to work on but there that this is none of that and it's and you don't have to do anything here mm-hmm. you get to see this is the piece i'm always and i know you and frank don't love this cuz i'm always throwing this at you but you shouldn't ever make anyone do something they don't want to do. Some people come into a situation like that and they're, can I, can, can I just watch and listen? And then eventually, as I know you have seen just in the last couple months, when they're ready, they start to speak up, but they do it at their time. Well, we actually do a, you're not in the meetings, but you know, Frank was very clear. Everything is an invitation. Love it. I love that. So we give them that a pass. We give them a pass. Good. Um, well, at the same time, so it's like a yes and. Just so you know, you can pass. You don't have to talk when it's your turn or if if you decide to raise your hand or not. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're inviting you to step into some of that discomfort. Yes. So it's both. Yeah, both and. So anyways, mm-hmm. and we can go on and on about that, but I don't want to because okay. there's too much other things to talk about. So then we kicked it off uh-huh. with a sex talk. How do you think it went? Yeah. I mean, it's good. Like, you know, we had to move through a lot of information in a short period of time. Yeah, and it was I, too, it, it was a lot. It was a lot. And I know that, you know, we had people comment on, you know, we didn't feel that you spoke about this or we didn't feel that you spoke to this community or, you know, I know that we didn't cover all the bases or we didn't have the education yet to cover what everybody felt would have been appropriate mm-hmm. for that audience. Um, and I, and I get that. And Todd and I are always tweaking our sex ed sure. talk because you always want to make sure everybody feels seen. Um, but it was, um, well, period. There's no but. And at the same time, I think that, you know, it. these are tough subjects. And I know that even a few people said that when we started just using regular language like vulva or vagina or penis, people, certain people wanted to step out of the room. So we're dealing with a lot of... And that's another example. Like, I forgot that that's exactly. uncomfortable for people exactly. to talk about parts of our anatomy. 
Right. And you and I have been doing this so long that, but what I will say is that Todd and I don't have like a standard talk. We try and change it every time because we really do. Well, Part we, of that we is get bored. We get bored. Yeah. Right. And we, even though we're trying to speak about the same content, we're trying to move it around and make sure we're using different language or if we find a new video or if we find a new way to express something. So basically we had never given that talk before, but, um, and here's, um, you know, we got what we had an hour and 15, I think. Not really because we did, we did all that stuff at the beginning, the video, the introductions. So these are the topics that we just kind of touched upon terminology using basic terminology, Uh puberty, Uh rape culture, porn, patriarchy slash misogyny, nudes and technology, uh-huh. boundaries, body image, and consent. So we pretty much gave like seven minutes to each one of those, right? which is probably not enough to truly dive deep, but I think we created some awareness. Well, and some of the talk, what I felt good about is like talking about I knew that the rest of the weekend, certain people were going to cover other things. Like we had, for example, you know, Tony Porter, he was going to talk more about healthy masculinity and misogyny and patriarchy. So we just touched on it. Or as far as women's issues, Rachel Simmons was going to talk more specifically about how women are affected in that realm. And then we had a panel about transgender and non-binary. So they were going to focus more specifically on their experience. So we were trying to just kind of give an overview. And my big thing that I really wanted uh, people to leave with the, like the one takeaway is that it's not one talk. And I, I know like you and I get bored from For saying sure. this because we say that all the time you know, we grew up either with either no information or mm-hmm. we got one talk from our mom or, or our dad. Right. And if I can have, give any advice to anybody listening, this is a series of small, quick conversations that get brought up spontaneously based upon where you are in the moment. And what I mean by that is, did your son or daughter have a, or anybody on the, on the non-binary have a, um, have a, a certain thing happen to them today. Well, then you you talk about how that relates to sexuality and intimacy, or you see a billboard, or you see a movie, or you see a magazine article. Like, it's these short, quick things. You get in, you get out, and then you move on because the long talks just don't work. Just the way we do when it comes to their physical well-being. Did you wash your hands? Yes. You know their emotional well-being. How are you feeling? Their sexual well-being or their sexual wellness is, you know. This is a plan that we create. We can create around when you get nudes because mm-hmm. one of the things we said, it's very rarely about if you get nudes. There's usually either a request for nudes or your friends are asking you to request nudes from somebody else. It's it's a it's become a very typical part of the experience of having a cell phone. So yeah. how do we talk about that? How do we create a plan? Yeah. How do we discuss what we're seeing on TV, the, the access that our kids have to um, – seeing things, Googling things that we could have never even dreamed of. And we don't, I think the the message that we're trying to convey is we don't have the luxury of avoiding this talk. I know that parents say, I grew up fine. Nobody talked to me. I figured it out, blah, blah, blah. And I have all sorts of questions about that because right. women are in my office talking about how their sexual lives are very unsatisfying. So obviously there's something that didn't yeah. kind of, you know, continue. And then at the same time, it's such a different time. It's such a different time. You know? Well, and another thing I want people, I wanted people to walk away from that talk is, um, you know, it's not that most high schoolers have seen porn. For if, sure. If not almost all. Um, the average age, Tony Porter said the average age that boys watch porn, start watching porn is 10. Yeah. So... It's not if, it's when, mm-hmm. and when you happen, either you can initiate the conversation or maybe, God forbid, you walk in and your son is on his iPad looking at porn. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity. Don't freak out. And that's an opportunity. That's actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's an it's a conversation starter. Ask some questions. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think a lot of people either fight, mm-hmm. a lot of parents fight, like, what are you doing? Or freeze. Right. Or get out of there. Right. And um, none of those things are good ideas. It's an opportunity to engage in a conversation. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. And that is the, you know, these are the doors that we get to go through. Like these are the, and we, the bottom line is, is the reason why 
I, you know, we started with pre-conference workshops around ourselves as parents, you know, on learning what's, you know, not true for us or talking about our feelings with men or whatever it may be is it's not that we don't know that we're supposed to talk about these things. It's that we have so many struggles with our own history regarding sexuality that we don't know we're so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. that we have a hard time bringing it up. So, you know, this, and you know, you're welcome to the club. Like this, and again, just like I was saying before, I really do understand that. Like not only, but I, I understand it and I respect it and I've been in that position. And so I, it's not that I've forgotten what that feels like, but we don't, this is a really important place to do our work. Well, and it's funny, as we're talking about this podcast, like I'm kind of reframing or refining mm-hmm. the message that if I were to do this again, it would be the three the three points, uh, the two points that I've already shared. But the third thing is, it's about us becoming comfortable with the subject matter. Correct. Us grownups, us adults. Correct. And how you do that, everybody's gonna have to do that their own way. But until we can... Get, not until, but while you're trying to teach your kid. Yeah, it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. If you're not working on your own relationship with this topic and you're not comfortable, it's going to go, it's most likely not going to go very well. You know, I had this really good talk with um, Anna Graham, who was on our panel, and her um, son Juniper was on the panel with her too. Um, and for the, the transgender panel. And she was talking about how when Juniper first came out to her and told her, um, that he felt like he was male. Mm -hmm. She said, I said all the right things, which was let's get educated. Let's walk through this together. She's like, but that's not how I felt inside. Mm. My mind or, and my heart had not quite matched up, but I kept talking and learning and now they're getting in sync. And that's a really good way that I would say as a parent, we have to be a lot of the time. If It, it doesn't always have to be around sexuality or gender, but just sometimes I it, things around when my daughters are anxious. I'm pretty good about saying the right thing, mm-hmm. but the way I'm feeling inside sometimes is not matching up to my words. Yeah. And that's not something to be self-critical of. It's to recognize that can we still say that I have enough executive functioning to at least say the right thing, yeah. and then I need to make it my work to to focus on my internal and start to get that heart and head matched up because that's you know when we are I'm putting this you know quotes triggered by our children in that they say something or do something or having an experience that makes us uncomfortable we really can feel uncomfortable and still do the same the right thing for sure do you know what i mean yeah. and i really think that that is sometimes as parents we're like well i'm saying the right thing but i i, I don't i'm still so nervous or i'm still so anxious yeah. Is that the fake it till you make it stuff? Well, I don't like that language because you're not being fake because you know what the right thing to say is and there's nothing fake about that. I like my heart and head are not aligned yeah. yet, but I'm walking the walk to get them aligned. Mm. I, I'm i not trying, you know, I know that sometimes I can, I'm so difficult with words, but fake it sounds like you're not being authentic. Right. And I think sometimes the things we're saying, even if our body is uncomfortable, we know it's the right thing to say, mm-hmm. you know? Part of us wants to yell and say, get out of bed. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to walk 10 miles when I was a kid, but instead we're gentle and we're loving. And we say, you know, how can I support you? Even if our internals are like, I shouldn't have to do this. We know it's a good thing to do. So anyway. Is there any part of the video that we showed before the sex talk began that you think would be fun or appropriate to share right now? It could be the high school coach. It could uh, be the John, John Oliver, Oliver thing is pretty good. I think there's some F-bombs, but I don't mind uh, you can bleep bleeping them out. those out. Sure, go ahead. Sex ed in schools is really important for obvious reasons. No parent wants to talk to their kids about sex and no kid wants to talk about sex with their parents. That is why when you're watching a movie together and there's a sex scene, everyone becomes motionless and silently begs for the merciful release of death. (laughs) And kids have good questions that need good answers. The Times recently ran an article with a slideshow of questions kids wrote on, on cards to a sex educator, including, why is the boy's penis shaped like an arrow? Is it okay to be gay? And how long do I have to wait to have sex? I'm excited. (laughs) To which... To which the answers are, it's engorged with blood, yes, and can you at least wait until the end of class? (laughs) But perhaps the most poignant question was, will this go well for me? Because 
After looking into sex ed programs this week, the answer depends quite a bit on where you live. There is no required standard for sex ed in this country. Is that good? Yes, that's okay. good, because then it goes on to a whole new thing. Okay. So, so, you know, that, that last part that where he says, you know, will this go well for me? Mm -hmm. That's the part that's really touching is, is kids need information. Yeah. They're asking for it. They want it. They, and even though it can be uncomfortable to talk about it with you, it's much, they are much better off getting this from you in a way that even if you're like, I'm still learning or I'm not quite sure, or I'm not quite sure how to say this, they're a lot better off getting the information from you than their peers who don't know anything. Right. So I just thought that was really kind of a touching thing. Will this work out for me? I know, I know. And there's some other funny th clips, but I guess you have to go to the conference to see the rest of the funny clips that you put together in the video. I guess. <clears throat> um, so why don't you start talking about one of our biggest friends, not biggest friends. He's our biggest friend. One of our so favorite Biggest supporters, people. favorite people, Dr. John Duffy. All right. So um, Duffy, um, he's now just become a one word yes. for me. I just call him Duffy. Yeah. Um, Duffy is, it talked about for the fifth year, Todd couldn't believe it, but Duffy has been with us for five years. He um, spoke about anxiety and anxiety with our kids um, and how they're experiencing their life. And I would say that the most important thing about Duffy's talk and his book, um, Parenting in the Age of Anxiety, or no, is that the title of it? Parenting the New Teen. The in New the Teen in the Age of Anxiety. The most important part of it is remembering that what our children are experiencing at school and in their day-to-day -day lives is different than our experience. One thing that was, you know, not only did Duffy talk about that, but Rachel Simmons cracked me up because she said... She said, please, parents, do not talk to your kids about your high school experience. Mm -hmm. And I turned around and looked at my kids. They were standing at the back table. And I just started pointing and laughing because I do it all, all the, time. the time. And I even did it last night. I said, JC, I'm going to tell you a story. And it's about my high school experience. And I know Rachel told me not to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. She's like, do you really need to? Mm -hmm. Like, I just feel it's like, it's like, it's like I can't help it. Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to compare I'm trying to, trying to share trying exactly, to and so, but I got to work on it. Um, I uh, just found I just YouTube John, and I have no idea what he's talking about in this moment. But it's when he talked to Fam Family Action Network, oh yeah, it was good. and I just want to give people a glimpse because it's when he was talking about his new book, and I don't know what he's about to share, but let's let's hear sure. it. The available parents. Thank you, Ed. <laughs> Thank you for your courtesy raise. <laughs> so, in the available parents, I made what I thought was a pretty elegant lifelong argument for how we parent our teens and tweens best. And it went just like this. If you parent relatively free of your own fear and your own judgment and your own ego, and that's hard, think about that. My own fear, right? I'm afraid I'm not doing this right. I'm afraid something terrible is gonna happen to my kid. My own judgment, right? I'm not doing this right as a parent. You're a terrible child, and I've been dealt a bad hand here, and my own ego. You know, why don't I get the Princeton sticker on the back of my car? If we can put that stuff aside most of the time, we don't have to be perfect, then by and large, we're in a safe lane. So that's, he kind of led with that in our talk. Right, but then he goes on to say, but that's not enough anymore. You know, things are going to go pretty smoothly from childhood through the tween years, through adolescence, into adulthood, and you're never going to have a situation where it's perfect. You're going to get a Sienna report card. You're going to have the moment where he or she comes home a little drunk, maybe have a problem or two, but by and large, things are going to work out pretty darn well because the emotional bank account between you and your child is high. You're connected. You're available as an ally and a guide, a consultant if they need you. So it's all by and large going to work out pretty well. What I didn't know 10 years ago is how much was going to change in the lives of our kids. I didn't know what vaping was. Neither did you. I didn't know what juuling was. I didn't know we were going to run into an opioid crisis that was going to swallow some of our kids whole. Mm. And he goes on. I didn't know that the pressure in academics was actually going to increase. Yeah. I didn't know the social networking was going to, and, and you can't pull that back. It's mm -hmm. going to keep growing and growing and growing. So 
what he's saying is everything he taught in the available parent is still true. And then now there's an and. Yeah. You also have to pay attention to these other things. Parenting is harder now. And not in a fear-based way, but in an educated open-minded, curious, and supportive way. And so that's the thing is, is for much as, you know, Duffy's book, the new one, um, can feel anxiety provoking because there's so many new things. It's not like he's saying these things could come on the market. They're here. Yeah. So it's like, this is what we have to work with now. And it, it actually gives me a sense of um, the more that I think about things in, in regards to my children and anxiety, it gives me kind of a little more permission um, to remember that the systems that were set in place when I was young don't, that there needs to be different kind of breaks for them, that we need as parents to be advocates for them in certain situations and that we can't follow the guidelines of our childhood, yeah. that we have to say it's not the same. Yeah. And we can still honor the authority figures and honor the process and the structure, but at the same time put in some uh, some support systems so they're not alone in a really daunting experience. Well, and John has been part of our conference every year uh-huh. for the last, for each of the five years, as it turns out, even though I challenged him on year one accidentally. I, I said that. <clears throat> and um, he, uh, he has grown into a very dynamic speaker. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Year one, he, uh, and I, he's a good friend of mine, so I gave him very honest feedback, and it was a little disjointed. He was reading off a piece of paper and all that. He commanded it at that stage in a way that I've never seen him do. So my invitation to anybody listening is if you want to um, take in some of his energy and some of the wisdom that he has to share, you could pull up this uh, YouTube clip, which is 55 minutes long, which I'm sure is really good. Or you can listen to some of the previous interviews that we've done with him, which you can do a search Zen Parenting Radio, John Duffy, John Duffy, or invite him to speak at your school. He wants to spread the word about his book. And it was, I was just blown away by him. And also subscribe to his podcast with Heidi Stevens called On Purpose and his podcast with his wife, Julie, called Better. Yeah. Okay. So that was the end of Friday night. Okay. Now, Rachel. Saturday morning. Rachel. Who's Rachel Simmons? So Rachel Simmons is a, um, a speaker who focuses on women's empowerment, girls' empowerment. Um, she is very, I don't want to like lump them together, but she is similar to Rosalind Wiseman, mm-hmm. who was at our conference a few years ago. Rosalind Wiseman wrote Queen Bees and Wannabes, and they focus on similar things, which is talking to girls about their experiences, you know, from adolescence through teenage years, et cetera, um, also women. And um, they, and they're very good friends, by the way. They sometimes do workshops together mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But Rachel, I really, and she said this during her talk, but really what she had to say about girls, I thought was very relevant to boys as well. Yeah. I, I think that a lot of it is really the same kind of information with the understanding that girls do have a different experience in based in, you know, some things that are very obvious, you know, history and misogyny and um, what girls have been told they need to be. And the fact that a lot of things that girls and women have been told over the years is you can be all these things um, that men are, you can, you know, be an astronaut and you can be president and you can be all these things. But basically what has happened is no, none of the other traditional, and I'm putting that in quotes, roles that women are supposed to inhabit have dropped off. So basically what that means is now girls think they're supposed to be perfect at everything. They think they're supposed to be the best student, the best singer, the best lacrosse player, the best uh, friend, the be- they're, the expectation of them instead of like shifting has just expanded. Mm-hmm. And it's heavy. And this is something that we need to have a conversation with our girls about what is expected of them, letting them know that a lot of it is untruth. You know what I mean? Like letting them off the hook because some of it is just cultural and societal messages that nobody is questioning. They just assume it to be true. Um, I, um, I took some pictures of her presentation with Uh my phone, Uh which I rarely ever do. What I liked about Rachel was the practical nature. She gave me, the way my brain works is give me three steps. Right. And she was really good at that. Right. So um, I'm going to share with you just three different slides really quickly. And the first one was, I can't read exactly what, it, what, what the slide was, taking a risk. So pretend your kid is struggling with whether or not to take a risk, whether it be to join the dance team or whatever. 
Um, question one, what's the worst thing that can happen? Mm, love that. And like these bullet points don't do the justice because she filled it in with such beautiful language. Yes, and examples. What's the worst thing that can happen? Number two, can you deal with that? And number three, what are three ways I can still win even if I don't get what I want? Right. So when you're talking to your son or your daughter and you don't know exactly, um, you know, they're scared of doing something, Mm -hmm. that is three questions that you can ask them. Because their mentality is it's all or nothing. I either win or lose. I'm either picked or I'm not. And there's all sorts of variations in there that it can look different. You may not... Say you try out for a team and you may not make it, but you may get the eye of a coach. You may make a friend that you would have never made at tryouts. Yeah. You may There's all sorts of things that can occur that live beyond the win or lose paradigm. And so she, and she also, you know, one of the examples she gave is, I call it a stretch. I can't remember the word she used, but like do like one small thing that makes you kind of nervous. Mm-hmm. And when you realize that you, you know, she I said, got that. It's the, it's the, think of like the target sign. Yes. And the inner circle is the comfort zone. Yes. One ring outside of that yes. is the low risk zone. Low risk. And the most outer circle is the high risk zone. So for, for this example was the goal was for your daughter or your son to get into the play. So what they do in their comfort zone, the safest thing is they sing in the shower. Right. The, the next circle out is that she can email her teacher for a meeting to discuss the tryouts. Right. And then the most outer risk is to sing in front of the family. Right. And what she was saying is, if you start doing this, you'll realize that what used to be in the low risk zone is now in the comfort zone and what used to be in the high risk zone. So it'll get, it'll, it'll evolve. Well, in the most, the fun, the most fun thing she said, cause I've used it like five times since is you go into the low risk zone, you do something and then you don't die. Yes. So when you're like, Oh, I didn't die. Not only did you not die, you feel empowered. Mm-hmm. You feel good. Right. You know, you're like, I did. That's where feeling alive comes from. For sure. Like sometimes when my daughter has a difficult day at work and she comes home and talks about all the things she did, like, you know, like slaying all these dragons. Yeah. It's like, whoo, that's what being alive is. And mm-hmm. you don't wish that upon anybody, but that's how we grow. Um, the other, one of the other two slides I want to talk about is self-regulation strategies. And this is for us as parents mm-hmm. is, I don't, help, maybe you can help me remember this. They are still watching us. So yep. that's the first one. Yep. Number two is how would you parent if you weren't afraid? Yes, love And the that. last one was share your mistakes. Yes. What is they are still watching us? Do you remember what she was talking about? Like they're just seeing our reaction? I think it's just role modeling. Yeah. yeah. Well, because what she said is when a kid falls down and it's a baby mm-hmm. and they fall down oh, and then yeah, they look right. to us, is this a big deal? And if we're like, yeah, it's all right, get up, I'll help you. Then they're like, okay, I'm okay, I can do this again. And when they're 12 or 15 or even 17, they're still looking at our reaction. And if they come home and say, I didn't make it mm-hmm. or it, I I dropped the ball or whatever it may be. And we're like, oh my God, oh I, no. It's they, almost like parent as cool as you can, as yeah, you can be as, as cool as, as a cucumber. And I talked about, you know, if you happen to stumble across your son or your daughter watching porn on their laptop. Be chill. You got to be chill because if you freak out, what we've said is neurons that fire together, wire together. And if you start screaming at them and punishing them, they're going to attach porn or sex with shame because that's what they feel like if their parents wig out on them. Or whatever feelings they were having, desire, pleasure, whatever. And now they're ashamed of feeling that way when what you're really trying to do is help them maybe navigate those feelings in a healthy way. You know, they're just kind of reaching out to the easiest thing. Yeah. And, you know, that's really important. That goes back to what I was saying my friend Anna said is you inside may feel nervous, but you have to be thoughtful. Emotional regulation is about you don't get to dump all over your kids. And if you're doing that on a daily basis and yelling at them and you're overwhelmed, that's first step. You have to you have to emotionally regulate. And if you don't know how to do that, that's where you need support first. Well, and I'm just thinking like a bullet point would be just be cool. Yeah. Not like Fonzie cool, but but act as if it's a very normal thing, whatever it is that they're presenting you. Your head and heart may not be lined up yet, <clears throat> but in that moment, they don't need your freak out. Yeah. That's not going to the change freak outs the don't <laughs> help. It might be a great story later on, but it's uh, not great. And the last slide before we talk about Tony is, or the panel, mm-hmm. uh, the steps for self-compassion. She told this really interesting story about her freaking out on stage. Remember she well, had she a, didn't freak out. A, she had a panic attack. Sorry. Those are two different things. Panic attack. Yeah. Or was it anxiety attack? Or is there a difference? Panic attack. And she, the three steps that she said is mindfulness. So she, I think she went back to her breath. So 
just to start, give this some texture, some, she had a panic attack. And what she did is she used self-compassion mm. and the three, and this is Kristen oh, Neff's yes. research. Yes. The three parts of self-compassion are, so go ahead. Mindfulness, uh-huh. self-kindness, and common humanity. humanity. So for me, the mindfulness is, can you breathe? Mm-hmm. The self-kindness is if your best friend was going through the exact same thing. How would you treat? How would you treat them? And the last one is common humanity. She talked about Dan Harris, mm-hmm. who's her ABC colleague, mm-hmm. who had a panic attack or an anxiety attack on national TV, and she felt slightly connected. Exactly. As if she's not the only, because I'm sure I've only had two panic or anxiety attacks in my life, and they were pretty much induced by too much alcohol over a long weekend on an airplane, and you know, you're in a tight space. But you think you're the only one that has ever experienced mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. in that moment. And I, when she got off stage, I told her I've had very similar feelings, not the exact same experience she did, but have definitely had panic attacks. And then I told her the story about Bo Burnham, who directed and wrote eighth grade that he was a YouTuber and he was performing and he had a panic attack on stage. So you just get these more of these stories of like, you're definitely not the only one who has done this and had this experience. And when you realize that you talk about it more because it makes people feel connected, you know, like, so you were just saying we were going to go to the panel, but what about Gemma? And oh, Gemma, De- and, okay. Debbie. And we can do a more, because they had a more Concise. shortened version. So Gemma Hartley came in and talked about Fed Up, and she talked about um, emotional labor and invisible labor and how we can start these conversations. She actually was kind of cute and funny because she said, you know, and I'm going to give you the five steps to having this conversation in a really easy and healthy way. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, no, I'm yes. not, because that doesn't exist, because these conversations are very difficult. Um, to bring up to your partner, you know, what she found in her experience is that bringing up these conversations to your partner is scary because the feeling is, is what if I bring it up and then he, he or she or whoever you are married to does not, or they, we're learning about pronouns, Mm -hmm. he, she, or they, um, does not listen, you know, does not change the behavior. That's scary. Yeah. That's like, what do I do now? So, um... Anyway, she she just gave a nice overview, and if you and for Debbie and Gemma, they only had about thirty minutes each. It was like more equivalent to a TED talk. But her book, Fed Up, and her um, Harper's Bazaar uh, article called "We're Not Nags, We're Just Fed Up." And could, we also have a podcast, podcast number oh, four hundred ninety five. Women aren't nags, we're fed up. I don't know if she's on that one or if you and I just talk about it, but. A few different resources about that topic. Yes. And we'll include these in the show notes. And for those of you guys who don't understand show notes, if you're like most people, you're listening on your phone, just scroll up on your phone and it'll be hyperlinked. So you won't have to do any searching. You just click on it and uh, Gemma's article will pop up or a link to her Amazon book. And then give a five-star review really quick as long as you're there. Yeah. Give Zen Parenting a five-star review. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like now on the phone, it's super easy. Sure. You don't even have to do, yeah. you don't have to write anything. Right. Um, and we'll do the same thing for all of our sure. speakers in the show notes of this podcast. Yeah. Um, so Debbie. Debbie. So Debbie Reber came in and talked about uh, her book, um, Differently Wired, and uh, talking about neurodiversity. And, you know, the thing that I love about Debbie's work and her book around raising her own child, Asher, who, you know, that's how she learned and kind of kind of worked her way through the wilderness of learning how to support her child and advocate for her child. And also how important it is for people to be allies mm. in the school system and to understand that she she put up some amazing statistics about how many kids are considered in her, the language is really important. She would use the word typical in quotes or normal when really there is no normal. Yeah. That doesn't exist. Um but how many kids fall outside who we're teaching to, mm-hmm. meaning the school system is built for a certain kind of child with a certain kind of thinking, with a certain kind of expectation. And yet there's children who fall everywhere on that spectrum who are not being recognized and they're not fitting into the way the system is set up. Yeah. And what we do is we make them wrong and they become the bad kid instead of recognizing how they learn and then creating a new system that accommodates them. And I know that takes time. Like that's not something you do quickly, but can we start that process of, you know, one of the stories she told was that 
Asher um, in school got in trouble a lot, her son, because he was always standing up from rug time. And when he needed to communicate something, he would walk around and he got in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. And then when she was homeschooling him, which she finally did out of like necessity, he was reciting to her a paper and she was, you know, kind of transcribing. And she was watching him and he walked around in circles and that's how he worked through his thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then she thought, that's what my kid's been doing is trying to work through his thoughts just like any student, but his way of doing it was called bad. Mm-hmm. And the, that's just one example. Yeah. So Debbie's a good friend, and she's she, as I told her a million times, she's an inspiration to me. I pull from her energy a lot. No doubt. And she that's uh, podcast number 442, which will be in the show notes. Um, so panel. Yes. So do you want me to start? Um, been talking a lot. I'm happy to. No, you to. go ahead. You go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so we had this wonderful panel of... Um, so the focus was transgender and non-binary. So both were represented and we had parents and we had um, students, um, different age, teenagers, um, talk about their experience of being transgender or non-binary and then their their parents' reaction to it. And their parents were on the stage, which was amazing. We also had a therapist mm-hmm. who he himself is transgender. And then um, our facilitator was Maureen Muldoon, who is, she was so perfect for this conference because our, um, what was was it called? Our theme was there's more to the story. And Maureen's like focus in her work is all about storytelling. She does, you know, um, she has her speakeasy, which is like a a church kind of setting where people get to speak about their experience. And then um, what's the the box? The thing she does with Kathy Richardson, voice box, where people come up and tell a story and then Kathy sings a song. So it was so perfect for her, not to mention her son came out to her as first, uh, I think, pansexual, transgender. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she had to learn all about what this meant and rework her story and learn so much more. And everybody had a story like that yeah. on the panel. I think that was the heart of the conference. I think so too. And it was powerful. And man, I did a lot of learning Me and too. had so much more learning to do in this regard. I mean, I just kind of. I think so many of us, it's so, to us grownups, I think kids are so much smarter than we are on this topic. Oh, they're so much more curious and open. For sure. Fluid. Um, And when I say fluid, I don't just mean in gender or sexuality, just with how things change. They roll with it better. They roll with it. Well, it's almost like we're molded and crusty and old and hard. And these kids are like, oh, you like these types of people? Okay. Oh, your pronouns are they and them? Okay. Okay. Like they don't, they're not like, it shouldn't be. It's like, this is what feels like me. Mm -hmm. And the reason why the panel was so important is because you've got these wonderful people. Like I get kind of goosebumps when I think about them. This amazing group of people that you can't help but but love and identify with, with just, you know, their humanity. And then you're like, oh, Mm. this isn't scary. This isn't something that I have to fear. This makes complete sense from their perspective and their you know, what they're experiencing. And I just found it to be very empowering. And I thought that the, and I don't really want to call them kids, the teens, um, this word got offered a lot, but this got thrown around a lot, but it was true. They offered such grace Mm. to us adults in our learning process is there was more so than some of us adults, right? Oh yeah. You know, exactly. Adults can be really hard on other adults. Like you should know this and you, we should, and we're not all evolving at the same time. We're all learning at different times. And just because you have been significantly educated because of your experience doesn't mean we're all there yet. And I felt like the kids got that. Yeah. They were like, oh, yeah, this is going to take time. Well, if nothing else, that's what I learned. These kids have much more compassion and patience yes. with us and our own evolution of learning about this very um, different topic than than this is not this something, evolving topic. Yeah, it's not something that we grew up with. And what I found is that what they, what, um, I remember, you know, L on the panel said, you know, I didn't really understand for myself what was going on with me until recently. So how should I expect you to understand what's going on with me until I, you know, but the big, but though, is we have to be willing to be open 
and ask questions if we don't know. I mean, that was a question that was really asked is, you know, somebody said, what if I'm unsure about someone's gender? What do I do? I'm uncomfortable. And they said, just ask, what are your pronouns? Mm-hmm. I, that was my biggest takeaway yeah. is if there was ever like an experience where you're talking with someone and you're not sure how to relate, just say, I'm just wondering, what are your pronouns? That's simple. Yeah. And, um, and the, so that was my one big takeaway. And the other is just, this is unfortunately messy. This is a, a challenging topic, uh, for our society. Mm -hmm. And we brought these people together to help us understand so we can kind of further us along. And when I say uncomfortable, I don't mean uncomfortable, like we're uncomfortable with this being the truth. The discomfort is in how do we navigate it and bring it? How do we ask questions knowing we may offend? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we, you know, how do we like approach this knowing that we're probably going to get it wrong? For sure. <laughs> how do we, but then still have the the um, curiosity and the um, what is it, and the courage mm-hmm. to keep moving through it. I think sometimes when we, you know, I found this a lot in the last two or three years in regards to race as well, is when you're learning and you're asking questions, sometimes it doesn't go well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the question is offensive and, and that, that was not the intention. And there is, you know, it's messy, but the worst thing we can do is shut down. Yeah. The worst thing we can do is say, I quit. The worst thing we can do is just believe that we're going to separate ourselves from it because this is the evolving nature of our world. We have to stay, we have to stay up in tune with our kids. No doubt, because I know that my children are this. These things are very normal, yeah. and they you know, and again, I'm using that word normal when that doesn't really have a definition, but this is very typical for them in their high school, sure. and so I have to keep up with them. Yeah. Just don't lose us, kids. Right, don't lose us. We're trying. Keep the faith in us. That's right. Old people. We're jumping on scooters and trying to keep up with you guys. <laughs> that was like, you know, we're just trying to get to, and and the best way to do that is, I think, sometimes to have a sense of humor with ourselves. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not to make light of it, yeah. but to just be like, we're, you know, well, and due we gotta, diligence. And we got to do our work too. Yeah. Like this is as easy as Google. Like right. you don't know what pansexual means? Look it up. But here's the the thing where it gets messy. Pansexual can mean something different depending on the person you're talking to. And so you can get a basic definition of pansexual. But what Elle and Juniper suggested is ask me what that means to me. So you have to do it individually. But having an overt, like I remember Janelle Monae came out as pansexual. And that was the first time I started really reading about it. This was like a year and a half ago. And, you know, what my definition was or what I thought it was Juniper and L gave a different definition yep. of it. And so in a lot of people are like pansexual is the same as bisexual, but it's not. Bisexuality is being attracted to someone who is traditionally male, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping I'm using the right words here, or traditionally traditionally female, specifically, they fall into that binary. Right. They are male or female binary. Pansexual is where you fall in love with or are attracted to anybody in that non-binary continuum. Yeah. Maybe maybe binary, male and female, or, or maybe anywhere not. in between. Yeah. So anyway. Um, okay, Tony. Tony? <clears throat> so Tony Porter, he's a uh, CEO of A Call to Men. He gave uh, a wonderful closing keynote. Um, I've been a big fan of, we've been big mm-hmm. fans of Tony for a long time. I show his TED Talk in my college class all the time. Um, and it's about healthy masculinity, and it's about equality, and it's about prevention of violence against women. And when I think about the hour that he spent with us in the keynote, I think of when he had his arms outstretched wide. So just picture your arms going, you know, straight horizontally. Like a T. And he talked about the majority of the perpetrators who who are violent towards women or men Mm -hmm. um, is a small, tiny percentage. I don't know if it's 5%, I don't know if it's 20%, but it's small. Mm Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is he kept pointing to the other 80 or 95% of us men that allow this small chunk of people to do so much damage. Exactly. And that's where I'm like, I'll never forget that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, and that is what the bystander moment's about. Mm -hmm. That's about, there's so many good men out there that have our, find themselves in these positions of power that are allowing 
these other men to create havoc. And it's, I feel like it's my job to stand up and do what I can to make sure that these small percentage of men are not, don't get away with this behavior that is just so toxic. And it starts with very small things. Like one of the things we always talk about in our sex talk, and Tony had a slide about this as well, is rape culture means it's a progression of things. It's like a triangle. And at the very bottom are things that we brush off. Mm -hmm. Things like the way that we talk about women, locker room talk, you know, in quotes, the, you know, you know, having a, a kind of a disrespect for women that goes unchecked, you know, language that we use, whatever it may be. And then there's a progression where it gets to a point where women don't seem like human beings. Yeah. They seem like someone that deserved to be treated. There's an entitlement there, um, deserved to be treated a certain way. And that makes it possible for that small percentage of men to harm them or uh, even kill them. Yeah. Because the statistic around... Um, women being murdered by their domestic partners or spouses is inc has increased mm -hmm. since Tony started doing this work. So that part's not going in the right direction. Um, it's very high. It's women, I think it's a dying by the hands of a domestic partner is higher than cancer. I don't want to get this wrong. I don't, uh, he struggled with getting it out the, of his, the stat right. himself. So. But it's higher yes. than it used to be. Yes. Plenty mm -hmm. of work there. Yeah. But yeah, Tony blew me away. Everybody blew me away. And it was just, um, and another thing that he said was nine out of 10, whoever asks him to come and speak, nine out of 10 of the people who ask him to speak are female. Women's groups. Are women's groups. Mm -hmm which blows me away. What that tells me is that- His um, organization is called A Call to Men. Yes. And they're being asked by a bunch of women to come in and probably talk to a bunch of bunch women. A bunch of women. Mm -hmm. So, and even in our, even though Zen Parenting Conference is getting better as far as an equal number of men and women, we it's still dominated by the women, for sure. For sure. It's getting better, like you said. I, and I think it goes back to that thing, what- I think what men say is, I'm a good guy. I'm not doing anything bad. I'm not hurting anybody. So I don't need to do anything. And we again, this can be brought up in terms of race. It can be brought up in terms of LGBTQ. I'm not doing anything wrong. Therefore, I'm not going to question myself. Yeah. What we're doing is trying to advocate or trying to become more educated so we're not just not doing anything wrong. We can actually be allies, support systems, and have a sense of um, educated responses to things that we know are uncomfortable. Like, you know, Tony says he gets uh, emails and texts all the time from guy, grown men and um, guys in high school and college who say people are saying things in the locker room or people are saying things around me and I don't know how to respond. Mm -hmm. So what do I do? And Tony doesn't have an actual pat answer of say this, do this, because it's not that simple. Um, Peggy Orenstein in her book, Boys and Sex, talks a lot about this too, is that when she was talking to boys, they don't want to put up with things that we would call rape culture, but they also don't want to lose their social capital. Yes. So do you see how there's a lot of big things that need to be discussed and processed and that just standing in a corner and saying, I'm not doing anything wrong, but how are you talking to your sons? Well, and that's are... exactly what the uh, bystander moment documentary is all yes. about. So, and so when is that again? Say the date of um, that. I think it's March... 7th? Uh, no, Eighth? it's not March 7th. There is a so week, we... Todd, that I have a presentation on March Monday, yeah, Tuesday, you... Thursday. Yeah, that's next week. Have, let's have fun next Ugh. week. So we have the bystander movement. Um, um, Tuesday, March 10th. Tuesday, March 10th. And then we have on March 12th, LT. LT, which is where we're talking about sex education. Yeah. So that could be a fun week for everybody to come yeah. talk about all these th Please things. Please join us. Both events, I believe, are free. Nice. So anyways. That's way to do it. Um, anything else? Closing thoughts? Just a thanks. You know, we we to our partners who joined us um, for this conference, um, we appreciate your support and just what you do for a living and what you offer or for, you know, living or volunteer work, mm -hmm. what you offer to the world. Um, the people speak, people who bought tickets yep. um, for the conference and who, you know, donated to send friends to make this happen because um, it takes a village yes. to create a conference. Um, and it is a lot of, 
hard work and a lot of, um, you know, we can't do it alone. No. So, and a special thanks to, uh, Sean and Jess and, um, Aaron and our, my children got angry with me because they said that they didn't get angry, but they kind of made fun. They're like, you didn't thank us. They're like, you wouldn't have a Zen parenting conference if you didn't have children. And this is true. <laughs> so thank you to JC, Cameron and Skylar Adams for being my children. And thanks to my aunt Peg, who's sitting here with us right now, because she always comes in yes. and she's always a Zen friend and she's part of team Zen and she helps us stuff bags and she bought us dinner. So Peg, you're like, you're a number one supporter. That's right. Um, yeah. Oh, didn't I say Jess? I said Sean and <clears throat> Jess and Aaron, didn't I? Oh, yes. Yeah. I well, that. Jessica is the, what I told Jessica, or I posted this a few times too, is that she, I will have like a vision like, oh, I want to have a gratitude board, but I don't know how it should look. And Jessica can take a vision and make it a reality. And that's those people, it's just a, it's just sometimes a muscle I don't have. Yeah. So deep appreciation. We love all of you. And to all our speakers and to Team Zen folks, those that showed up and those who Front row. did not show up. Um, yeah, we could not do this podcast without the support of Team Zen. So if you're interested in getting some of the amazing benefits or just supporting us, please check that out. Um, and then lastly, that bald headed beauty. Jeremy Kraft. Jeremy, he was at the conference. Painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800, avidco.net. Any other closing comments? People should just come to the conference to meet Jeremy Kraft. And to, rub his, and to rub his bald head. No, they need to ask permission. Yeah, ask consent and then rub his bald head. Maybe not. Maybe But maybe not, but hand. probably. Thank you, everybody. Keep trucking. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to ZenParentingRadio.com and submit a speaker request. And while you're there, check out our upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. And guys, I have a one-on-one -on -one coaching practice. It's called coaching for guys. You want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationships with loved ones? We can talk in person, phone, FaceTime, you choose. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.